Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome to church, everybody. We're so thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be here. I hope you're excited to, to be at church today. Whether that's, whether that's across campuses or, or at 12 Stone Home. Today, we're going to be looking at some of the most famous words that Jesus ever spoke. So before we get there, though, I need to share a, a little bit of a story. If you have ever been to another country, or maybe you live here now and you are originally from another country, you've experienced what a lot of people refer to as culture shock. Or you show up somewhere and the food's different, the people are different, decisions are different, customs are different, clothes are different, lots of things are different. You arrive somewhere and you experience culture shock. Uh, when I was early in ministry, uh, my dad was uh, working for a mission organization in Eastern Africa. I got to spend a lot of time in some other cultures. And then through another relationship, I got to go down and preach at a student conference in Chile one summer. And uh, I showed up and about a day in experienced a ton of, of culture shock. Uh, this was an incredible trip, an incredible group of people. Here's a picture uh, from the camp. Uh, it's not a great picture, but I'm the bald guy at the top just over the cross. I was bald about 10 years ago. Uh, uh, and the name of the camp, by the way, I, I, I kid you not, uh, the shirts we had said Loco Por Cristo, which literally meant crazy for Jesus. It was just uh, an incredible group of people. But we show up at the camp, and I, I like to think that I, I've learned how to not hide the, the, the Georgia redneck in me, but I think when you get around other cultures, it comes out just, just a little bit more. And I was in a conversation with a group of the leaders, and I don't remember the context of the conversation, but somehow in that conversation, I said the word jalapeno, to which uh, one of the women starts laughing at me. Um, which wasn't very kind of her, um, she, she left and brought somebody else back. And she says, say that word again. I go, uh, jalapeno. And she says, and they both start laughing. And then they start like parading me around the camp. And they're like, walk up to a group of people. Hey, 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 you know our speaker, uh, Trey? Hey, Trey, say it again. I'm like... Jal jalapeno. And eventually, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm literally like a circus sideshow because of, uh, of my accent. And eventually, I stop them and I'm like, hey, all right, well, well, you say it. You say it properly. And they're like, jalapeno, or some, I'm still saying it wrong, but jalapeno. And I'm like, uh, and I, I hear it. I'm like the, the, the guy from South Georgia named Bubba, jalapeno is how I'm kind of saying it, right? Like, like culture shock. And whether you realize it or not, every single one of us are in a culture. We live in a culture. We are formed by a culture. You cannot escape your culture. Every person, every organization, every nation, every kingdom has a culture. Whether you realized it or not before this teaching, you're living inside of a culture right now. And to help us with the teaching, I want to define culture for us. And this isn't exhaustive, but this will help us be on the same page as we teach through this today. Culture, four things, is what gets celebrated. 
It's the way people interact with each other, the way decisions are made, and the goal, the way the goal is defined. So it's what gets celebrated, our relationships, how we interact with each other, the way decisions get made, and the way the goal, or maybe even the way the finish line gets defined. See, you are where you are right now. You are in a culture. You have culture by geography, and you are from where you are from. You have culture based on your experiences. Where are you from? Your background, your history, your economics, your race, nationality, language of origin. You grew up who you grew up with. You have culture based on your friends and your family. It's a social culture or a family culture. Like you have like this subculture in your family. We have like a little Hildebrandt culture in my family with, with my boys. And, and it shows up in different, different things. Like, like I think about our bedtime routines. Maybe you have these little routines as well that are kind of part of your culture. Our bedtime routine exists of a few different statements that we just want to remind them of who God is. And so we put our boys to bed. And, and one of our, our things that we repeat, we've been saying this to all three of our boys since they were babies. We say, daddy loves you and mommy loves you, but God loves you the most. We say that one time, then they repeat it back to us. Daddy loves you. Mommy loves you, but, dad lo- uh, but God loves you the, the most. And look, you guys just added some Hildebrandt culture to your life. And they repeat it back. Now, there's another one we do that we're having a little bit more trouble with. We say, hey, why do we pray? And the boys respond with, because God is real and God loves us. That's what we kind of designed it to say. But for some reason recently, the answer is God is real and God loves pickles. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and, they, and they think they're being sneaky because they think they're going to say the right thing. I say, all right, boys, why do we pray? God is real and God loves. And they look around. I don't know who they're looking for. Pickles. I'm like, okay. Right? And like we have these little things that become our culture. We are all shaped by culture. And as we've been moving through the New Testament this fall at 12 Stone, we arrive at this pivotal moment in Jesus' life, really, when he begins to teach. And he preaches a sermon that's most often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus begins to teach, and he begins to let us know what the kingdom of God is really like. We'll ask the question like this today. What is the culture of the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God like? And in the greatest sermon ever, from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, one Bible commentator calls it the great sermon of the great king. I mean, how do you... Can you pray for me for a second? Like, how do you preach a sermon on the sermon, like the greatest sermon ever? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my best to let the Bible, to let Jesus speak for itself. And we'll cover a good bit of scripture and we'll hit several topics. But it all goes back to this big question of what is the culture of the kingdom of God like? I mean, just look at the Sermon on the Mount and everything that's covered in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he starts at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 and he hits the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when. Moves through Jesus in the Old Testament law, relationships and how to treat people, guidelines for prayer and fasting and money. Jesus hits worry and judging others. And then he talks about heaven and entering through the narrow gate and building your life on the firm foundation. Jesus covers so much in this. And if we began to pull back the layers, we'd barely be able to scratch the surface of all God would want to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount, which means we have to do our best to try to find something that anchors it all together. And here's what I hope we do today, that we see the heart of Jesus teaching as when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, it was like a banner, an announcement, almost like the biography of the kingdom of God, describing and defining what the kingdom of God is like. 
setting culture for what the kingdom of God was going to be. And when you hear kingdom of God and hear culture, I got to help us for a second because I don't want you to think physical, right? The kingdom of God is not a physical place. It's not a, a, a four walls of a church. The kingdom of God, more or less, like it describes the way of life for people who follow Jesus. So what is the way of life? What's the culture like for people who live in the kingdom of God and how Jesus established it with the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount? And we'll use that definition of culture a few moments ago to help us see kingdom culture. Like what is Jesus building with the kingdom of God? Kingdom culture. What's celebrated in the kingdom? Interacting with each other in the kingdom of God, making decisions according to kingdom values and knowing the finish line in the kingdom of God. All of that driving to this bigger question, what is the culture of the kingdom of God like? We gotta learn it. We gotta see it. We gotta feel it. We gotta experience it so that we can live in it. So here we go. What's celebrated in the kingdom of God. When Jesus began to teach the Sermon on the Mount, guys, I don't think it's it, like we fully understand how much he rocked the boat, how, how he changed so many things of what people expected Jesus to do. So to understand the Sermon on the Mount, let's kick back a couple of verses to the end of Matthew chapter four to see the context, like what was happening around Jesus when he stepped up and started preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So this is what's happening. Matthew chapter four, starting at the end of the chapter, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. Jesus was getting popular. People wanted to hear what Jesus was going to say and what he was going to do. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds. He's popular. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan. They all followed him. Large crowds were gathering around Jesus. I mean, he was healing the sick. Jesus casting out demons. He's teaching and people are, are listening. I mean, think about it. They're like, who is this man? Who is this man who can perform these signs and wonders and miracles? I mean, Jesus really was like the most popular guy in town at this point. Who would he heal again? What would he do next? Would he take care of more sick people? And, and they're so interested in Jesus because of what they expected Jesus to do. Because here's the historical undertone of this moment. Jewish men and women were waiting on the Messiah. The Messiah for them, according to their uh, religious scripture up to that point, our Old Testament had, had told them that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to bring freedom to their people. And he was going to usher in a new era of greatness for Israel. You may not know this, but at the time, Israel was under Roman rule. They were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And Jesus, they're waiting on the Messiah to show up to lead a literal revolution, like a, an army revolution, a political revolution against the Roman Empire. And so they think the Messiah is going to come in and usher in a new season of national promise for Israel. And so Jesus, they, they begin to notice he has power. He can heal sick people. Other people are following him. There are a group of folks sitting back going, this is our guy. Jesus is our Messiah. He's going to lead the revolution against Rome. Our kingdom dreams are about to come true. And almost, almost as an aside, I think we tend to do the exact same thing with God. 
where we have expectations that we think God is gonna meet for our lives and we try to bring God into building our kingdom. We bring God into trying to build our agenda instead of finding God's agenda and joining him. We're like, hey God, would you come over here and join us? And that's what's happening for them. See, but that would be too small for what Jesus had come to do. He was not here to do that type of kingdom building because Jesus was not there to lead a national revolution to bring Israel back to prominence because a national revolution would only benefit one group of people. Jesus had stepped back in to lead a spiritual revolution to benefit all people. But imagine these, these Jewish men and women, they think that this is their guy, like he's about to rally an army and he's about to teach, he's been healing, he's been doing all these things and he sits down on the side of the mountain, like they're hyped up like it's about to be the pregame talk. Like they're in the locker room. Yeah, guys, college football started back up over the last weekend. Some of you are really excited about the locker room. I'm a Florida State fan, we play tonight, pray for us. Um, but uh, so Jesus, he's, he's there, he's about to teach, and they think he's about to give the pregame talk. They're hyped up, they're ready to go. They, I mean, I, I was reading some historians believe that some people thought that in this moment of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus was literally about to rally a physical army because they were about to go take care of Rome. That's the expectation. That's what they think is about to happen. That's how they think Jesus is about to build his kingdom. But then he starts to talk. And what Jesus had come to build was going to look very different than what they expected. Check out Jesus' first words in Matthew chapter five. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wait, Jesus, blessed are the, the who? You, you, you mean, Jesus, you mean blessed are the, the strong in might because theirs is the kingdom of Israel, right? That's what you mean, Jesus. And then he keeps teaching down to verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers, no, <laughs> no Jesus, remember, you're supposed to, to fight, to free us from Rome, right? Because you're building your kingdom here on earth, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, think, like, they're jazzed up, they're ready to take on Rome, and then you have a moment of like, whoa, wait now, Jesus, Pe peacemakers? Like, we're ready to go, we're ready to fight. Poor in spirit? Blessed are, are us, blessed are we when we're insulted? Is, is that really what you, you said? And I don't know about you, but have you ever read scripture and thought, oh God, I think you misspelled a word, um, or I, I, don't, I don't know if that's what you meant to, to say. Well, welcome to the club. Because we are often confused and we see the way God builds his kingdom and they were confused in this moment because Jesus was celebrating values that would seem opposite to what they would have expected Jesus to celebrate. One of the first things Jesus needed to do was to break their old thinking for what they celebrated. He had to flip their definition of greatness upside down. He had to take what they thought was great and literally flip it upside down. And for all you Stranger Things fans, not that version of the upside down. Um, see, Jesus had a very particular goal in mind. It was almost to sound the alarm. The true king is here. And in this kingdom, the culture celebrates a different definition for greatness.
You see, when we think about greatness, we think about going higher. This is my wife's step stool for all of our household projects. She doesn't know where I took it today, so <laughs> here you go, babe. Um, when we think about greatness, we think about going higher. We think about uh, how can I get above other people? How can I continue to, to, to climb the ladder in business and success and money? How can I make sure that, that I get more popularity in the world of social media? How can I make sure that one day I get to be in that neighborhood where the who's who live? Because that's where greatness is. And we are constantly kind of fascinated with being great and rising just a little bit higher. And Jesus steps in and he sets an entirely different definition for greatness. They think greatness is rising higher in power, and then Jesus begins to teach. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are you when you show mercy. Later in Matthew chapter 5, he says it like this. You've heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because the kingdom of God was gonna be operating so differently. The kingdom of God was not going to embrace a version of greatness that was gonna be about how high you could climb or who you could cut off or even could you beat your enemies and win. The kingdom of God was going to flip radically the definition of greatness on its head because Jesus steps in and begins to build his kingdom. And what does he do? Instead of climbing higher and taking other people with them, Jesus steps off and says, I'm going to show you greatness. You first. I'm going to show you what my kingdom is like. And he's going to help lift other people in humility and generosity and kindness and serving others, even to the point of praying for and serving his enemies. This is the definition of greatness, and this is what's celebrated in the kingdom of God. This king who had come to establish a spiritual kingdom who would not glorify himself in the way of taking over, but would glorify himself in a way of dying on a cross. This is an upside-down king. And kingdom culture embraces an upside-down version of greatness. If you and I desire to live in the culture that Jesus is building in his kingdom, we have to celebrate what Jesus is celebrating. And he celebrates a different version of greatness. And that forms our culture. But then also our culture is formed by interacting with others in the kingdom of God. How we interact with others, how we build relationships with others in the kingdom of God. Have you ever tried to be someone you're not in order to get accepted? I know you have. I, I won't ask for, for hands, campuses or 12 stone home, but we've all been there where we've tried to be someone we're not in order to get accepted. When I uh, got to Chile that summer, I had spoken some, I had taken some high school Spanish. I had taken Spanish in college, but I showed up and I tried to fake it, but it didn't take long for them to eventually go, uh, not so fast, Mr. Jalapeno, because you're not, <laughs> we hear it. I, I stood out. I did not fit the culture when I first arrived. But you know what was so beautiful? Is I was so welcomed. I didn't fit some of their customs, the language, background, how to make decisions, but I was so welcomed and I was so loved. Uh, another story, when we were there, 
like I said, it was about a decade ago, so I'm in my mid-20s, and uh, we were playing some relay games in a pool, and uh, I, I had traveled to another continent uh, without an extra pair of contacts or glasses. I'd only been married for just a little while, so I wasn't quite cultured yet, um, and so I'm in, I'm in Chile without an extra pair of contacts or glasses, and I dove into this pool, and I opened my eyes underwater, both contacts, boom, gone. And guys, I am blind. Like without my contacts, I would have trouble making it off this stage. I, I'm not joking with you. So I'm in another country. We have like five more days of the camp. I have notes. I got to preach. Like I, I'm like, what am I going to do? I, I, I don't know how I'm going to go forward. Well, people at the camp began to talk and they collected pairs of glasses off of their own heads and started bringing me glasses until I found a pair that worked. Here's... And I did. Here's a picture of me. This is not a great picture, but here's what I wanted you to see. One, I'm wearing the pair of glasses of a sweet old man because I have old man eyes. It's a sweet old man from Argentina who lent me his glasses. And they were the type that, that uh, this, I'd never had these glasses before. You go outside and they turn into sunglasses. I'm like, what is this world? Um, and they had me preach in the nice Britney Spears mic. You see that with a little... A little foam at the end, and I'm wearing my, my, my Locos Por Cristo shirt, crazy for Jesus. So I'm here preaching. They showed me such kindness. You see, I, I didn't belong immediately in terms of the culture fit, but I was so welcome. I was in a new culture, but they interacted with me like I already belonged. Why? Because the culture of the kingdom of God is like this. The culture of the kingdom of God accepts people for who they are before they figure out what to do. Jesus said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, starting in verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet people who only are your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? You see, unfortunately, I don't know if the church always does this well. It's easy to show up to church and fill out a place, isn't it? It's easy for us to show up and not speak the Christian language or look the Christian part. I don't know what the Christianese version is of jalapeno. Um, <laughs> it may be raising your hands in worship. Guys, I am a raised hand worship. If you ever see me over here, I'm a hands raised. I'm turning around. I'm singing at the wall. Like I get into worship. I move around. But imagine if you're new, I bet you, some of you, maybe if you're even new to, to, to the idea of following Jesus, new to church right now, you walked in, you're like, why are they, everybody's got their hands raised? Right? Because we have things that tie into our culture, and so it's easy for people to show up and feel like they don't fit in. It's easy for people to show up and feel like, I don't, I don't dress the right way, I don't do the right things, I don't think the right things, I don't know if I fit into this idea of the culture of the kingdom of God. But this is not how the kingdom of God works. Because, it got, because God is not most concerned with what you look like or that you look the part, but simply that because of Jesus, you come. See, Jesus first, yes, please, Jesus' main concern. Jesus' main concern is first and foremost who people are, not what people do. This is the whole point of the gospel. Because you can't what your way into the kingdom of God anyway. There's no list of to-dos, no religious activity. There's no culture fit that you could act like on the outside that would get you into the kingdom of God because the only way into the kingdom of God is who? It's who Jesus is, and it's who we are in him. This is the whole nature of the gospel. 
that you and I could not live up to kingdom standards and we could not get back to God on our own. Like we cannot live out kingdom culture until we have been made new by Jesus' kingdom power. And so transformation has to first happen inside of us before we act transformed. See, Jesus is always after your heart before your behavior. We say it like this inside of our next gen ministries at 12 Stone, that he invites you and me, he invites us to belong to him before we behave like him. Isn't that a good invitation? The type of culture I wanna be a part of, that Jesus Christ has made a way for me to belong before I behave, and you know how he did it? Because he lived perfectly, he behaved perfectly and did not deserve death. But in love for us, he chooses to die on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sin. And then three days later, he literally bodily rose from the dead to extend to anybody who would say yes, the invitation for new life. This is the gospel and this is the kingdom of God. And then if you accept this invitation of Jesus, he begins to transform you from the inside out. And then we begin to live in the upside down kingdom culture. This is what we are invited into. So let me unpack this for how this helps us interact with people. When we realize that the culture of the kingdom of God is not try harder, do better. Like I have to pause there. Hear me on that. The culture of the kingdom of God is not try harder, do better, rise up more to get closer to God. The culture of the kingdom of God is draw nearer. And when we realize that we never had to prove ourselves to Jesus in order for him to love us, we release other people from having to prove themselves to us. We track him. Jesus said it like this, Matthew chapter seven, and again, in the Sermon on the Mount. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Because Jesus has interacted with us this way, it transforms how we interact with other people. We wake up to God's welcoming love of us and we offer it abundantly to other people. This is the kingdom of God. So when we're standoffish, always angry, judgmental, which the Sermon on the Mount speaks to, we act like religious elites and we're unwelcoming. How would anyone want to enter into a relationship with Jesus when they don't want the culture that comes around the people of Jesus? We offer this type of welcome to people into the kingdom of God because it has been the divine example of how Jesus has interacted with us. We begin to build the culture of the kingdom of God. But then also, as we interact with others, we have to talk about how we make decisions according to kingdom values because decision-making is crucial to how any culture is formed. Go anywhere, move anywhere, you have questions like, how do I choose this or what do I choose here? What do I do here? Where do I go? What do I say? Cultures are formed around specific decision-making. However, oftentimes when it comes to following Jesus, he doesn't give us like a, a playbook. And I know we all wish we had this. Like, like you were to like, God, I, I'm, okay, I'm going to college. What college should I go to? Lord, should I marry that person, right? Jesus doesn't often give us the specific answers to the decisions that we're making. What scripture does do though, is give us values in order to make the best decisions. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes after two big values that I think can sit inside of every single decision we can make. 
And as we hold these values up in our decision-making, we continue to form and build the culture of the kingdom of God. And here's how I'll say it. Jesus hits pride and he hits worry. Less self, less me, less you and how we make decisions. And he hits worry, asking us to raise our trust in God. I'll, I'll go through these fast. But first, Jesus hits pride. And Jesus attacks this one head on. I think he has a very particular person in mind. Like, I think when Jesus said this, he's picturing somebody because Jesus sounds like he's annoyed. And I, and I don't know if this is helpful for you. It's helpful for me to think about Jesus as a real person, like with a personality, so much so that he's annoyed with somebody. And he begins to teach and to preach about how people flaunt their spirituality and flaunt their religious activity in order to gain something for themselves, pride. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse one, he speaks directly to it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Big picture is this. There is no room in the kingdom of God to make it all about ourselves. That's when we begin to make decisions that serve ourselves first, we are missing the culture of the kingdom of God. And he's not saying it's okay. He's not saying uh, that it's not okay to pray out loud. You can pray out loud. He's not saying it's, 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 it's not okay for you to let other people know where you're generous. You can be generous. What he's saying is we don't use those to leverage something for personal gain and, gain and fame. That it's a warning that for selfish, self-exalting decision-making will actually miss the kingdom of God. Jesus is always leading us to make less decisions that have me to make less decisions that have like you in the center of the bullseye and to make more decisions that, that put other people, that put someone else at the center of the bullseye, less self in our decision-making. And then also Jesus hits worry. I don't want to be careful here because God is so patient and he is so kind. And how he speaks to worry is different than how he speaks to pride. He speaks to pride with a confronting spirit. Like he's like, don't do that. And he speaks to worry with the tone of a shepherd. He says, I want something more for you. So as you think about these two in the same, in the kind of in the same mind, pride Jesus speaks to directly. Worry, he's, he's inviting us into something deeper. This is what he has to say about worry in Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air who do not reap or sow or store into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Isn't that good? God cares for us in this way. The culture of the kingdom of God helps us cultivate a trust in the provision of God, which means this. It doesn't mean that you never worry. 
And if you never worry, you should write a book because I would love to read it. There's a ton of sleepless nights where I would need to read your book. But it's a reminder that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have this song that is almost being sung over your life at all times that God has you. He sees you. He knows you. And worry doesn't fade because everything is going well. Worry fades because we can trust the God who can provide for all of our needs. And I love... And we've been working through the Jesus Storybook Bible as a church to help us see the big picture of the New Testament. And I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible talks about the end of this chapter. Sums up the end of the story on the, of the Sermon on the Mount like this. Jesus knew that God would always love and watch over the world he made. Everything in it, birds, flowers, trees, animals, everything. And most of all, his children. Even though people had forgotten, the birds and the flowers hadn't forgotten, they still knew their song. It was the song all of God's creation had sung to him from the very beginning. It was the song people's hearts were made to sing. I love this line. This song, God made us, he loves us. He is very pleased with us. It was why Jesus had come into this world, to sing to them this wonderful song, to sing it not only with his voice, but with his whole life, so that God's children would remember it and join in and sing it too. When you begin to live in the culture of the kingdom of God, pride and worry fade. So ask God. Ask God to pull pride and worry out of your everyday, out of your decision-making, to see the culture of God to begin to grow around you. Less self, more trust. Before I hit the, the ending thought of how to build this culture into our lives, let me, let me summarize because I think it's important for us to understand what Jesus is doing. He teaches so many different things in the Sermon on the Mount, but we gotta go higher to understand that he's trying to help us see what the kingdom of God is like. And so we started with what gets celebrated, where Jesus flips the definition of greatness upside down. He celebrates different things than we typically celebrate. Then he helps us see how we interact with people. He welcomes us in, and so we welcome others into relationship. Then how are decisions made? Less self, more trust in God. You see, but in every culture, you have to know what we're moving towards. How is the win defined? What is the end goal? So we want to know the finish line. What is your finish line? What is my finish line? Do we know the goal of the kingdom of God? Are we running the race in the right direction towards the right finish line? And Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with a parable of building a house. And when you read house, think of the word life. Think of your word. Think of your life. He talks about one house being built on sand and the other house being built on the rock. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, pause, do you notice that? Everyone who hears these words and gives their life to them. It's not just enough to hear. It's that we hear and we respond and we say, Lord, you can, you can have my life. I'm following you. Those who hear his words and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house, his life on the rock. The rain came, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great, great crash. 
Jesus wants us to understand this truth, that some things carry into eternity and some things don't. The culture of the kingdom of God is built heavenward with eternity in mind. And Jesus uses this phrase, these words of mine, because he wants us to see that the finish line is where we have humbly and lovingly surrendered our lives to Jesus. We've lived for him, built our life on him, and we have trusted Jesus for our eternal home. These are the things that last into eternity. It starts here. It starts with your faith in Jesus. It starts with you making a personal and real and active decision to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. And when you make that decision, it is foundational. You build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision? It starts there, but it moves deeper. What else could we carry into eternity? It starts with sharing your faith. Are you sharing your faith with other people? Are you making sure other people make it to heaven with you? This is kingdom building. You generous towards God, others, and his church with what you've been given. This is kingdom building. Are you using your gifts for the kingdom by serving others? This is kingdom building. Are you living in each moment to make someone else's day in the name of Jesus? This is kingdom building. Guys, this is our finish line. That when this life finishes, we have lived the type of life that carries into eternity. Don't you want that? Aren't you desiring a life that makes it beyond what is temporary right in front of us? We could all have the type of greatness the world defines, but it is so clear from understanding who Jesus Christ is that if you live to raise yourself vertically in this life, you cannot take all that you've accumulated with you. When the goal, the finish line in the the kingdom of God, what is the culture of the kingdom of God like? That one day you would stand before the God of the universe and he would look to you and he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that type of life. And to go back to my story from Chile, I, I got to work with a pastor there. His name was was Juan. This is a picture of Juan and his son Mauricio. Mauricio is a great friend of mine. And I got to go to Chile and Argentina and work with Pastor Juan. And Pastor Juan let me stay at his house for a solid week. And they fed me really, really well. I don't know if you know much about South American food culture. I didn't. They eat lots and lots of meat. Um, which I really, really liked. And I would eat in 10 minutes and they would keep piling it on and I'd kind of stuff myself to make sure that I was being kind to them. But they were so kind to me. I got to know Juan in a really personal way and he spent his entire life planting churches in oftentimes rural areas of South America where nobody else was going with the gospel. He was great in the kingdom of God. He was so kind and welcoming and warm to me and to others. He didn't fight for himself in his decision-making. He trusted God. There were times they did not know how a church building was gonna get built, but they would trust God and God would always provide. And he knew the finish line. Juan died a few years ago and we were all able to celebrate his, his life and his legacy. And as I was thinking about this teaching, I thought about Juan and I thought, the culture of the kingdom of God is like him. And I was challenged. And I think we're all challenged. 
So we look at what the kingdom of God is like. How will you respond? How will I respond? Maybe it all comes down to this final parable. What are you building your life on? Are you living in the culture of the kingdom of God? What needs to change? If you were to hold your life up and look at how you're living and you take this idea of the culture of the kingdom of God and you filter your life through the culture of the kingdom of God, where are you building on sand? And Jesus is inviting you today to build on rock. And it starts pretty simply. Maybe it just starts with acknowledgement. Lord, this is, this is where I'm building. This is, the, this is where I'm chasing the wrong definition of greatness. This is where I'm not, I'm not demonstrating love and kindness to other people. This is where I'm prideful. This is where I worry. This is where I don't have the finish line in mind. And you just need to respond to God in this moment. It, you can't change it all, fix it all in a moment, but God wants to meet us to help us be the type of people, the type of church that builds the culture, the kingdom of God. And so I'm gonna invite Cam out to, to sing a song to lead us in worship, the, a song that we've been singing together as a church for a few months now. It's called Firm Foundation. And maybe you need to have a moment where you confess something to God, where you begin to build something differently with your life. You might need to stand up and worship. You might need to kneel at your seat where you are, Tulsa Home or across campuses. You might just need to stay seated and think and pray as these words are sung over us that Christ is our firm foundation. And Lord, we want to, and I'm just praying over us now, Lord, we want to live in the culture of the kingdom of God. So would you help us, as you taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, would you help us live in that kingdom? Cam, would you lead us? Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Cause he's never let me down He's faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. He won't fail.
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.